Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our college contender series, breaking down our top 10 men's and women's teams entering the 2022 college tennis season. Crazy to think. We've already reached the number six team on our list. Of course, if you have missed any of our episodes, you can catch up on them all on our website, crackrackets.com. You can read Matt Stokowiak, John Parsons, breakdowns of each and every one of these teams. Hopefully, by the end of this week, you'll be able to hear from the head coaches of each and every one of these teams as well. Of course, while you're on that website, you might as well check out our Power 5 coaching interview series. I am attempting to interview every men's and women's Power 5 coach before the start of the year we have made a hefty dent into those interviews if you've missed any of them you can catch them all on the cracked interviews podcast feed we're releasing five a day on mondays wednesdays and fridays each week i appreciate all of you who have reached out to support our efforts if you are a head coach listening to this of a power five school who has not contacted me the dms are always open at great shot pod but of course with all of that said I'll be bringing the two other contributors who helped me break down our top 10 men's teams each and every week. The two other members of our Crack Rackets Holy Trinity, of course. We're going to start where we always start. You know him as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net. Your favorite writer on our website, CrackedRackets.com. A man who was described as a baller on the court, but a slouch on the couch off of it. Of course, the better half of the Stokowiak brothers duo. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Maddie, hey, great shot. Welcome back. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. I'm I'm uh, fired up here to be talking about uh, a team in Virginia that you used to care a lot about, uh, and and I think this is going to be a good episode, man. I've been waiting for this one. I've gotten jaded in my later years. What I've realized, the truth is, and I've said this before, but college tennis coaches only have tolerance for one bias out of me. They say, we get you're a Michigan fan, nothing else, because you went there. And I've doubled down on that proposition. Now, if you ask me, and we've talked about this on various podcasts, what's my favorite sporting moment of all time? I can tell you the exact cubicle I was in on my senior project in high school, 2013, when Virginia knocked off Illinois when I'm looking at that scoreboard, 40-30 Puget, and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? His foot touched the net! I could tell you exactly when all of that happened, but uh, of course, yes, I am very excited to discuss the Who's today, as I think they are a fascinating team this year, and of course, joining us on the podcast to do that as well, the third member of our college tennis holy trinity. Of course, you know him as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of mother, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. 
Spencer. He quotes Henry Ford, the one-armed designer. He's a three UTR, and f- he has a man bun. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? I am doing great, Alex. Glad to be here. Ready to uh, ready to talk a little, uh, yeah, of your 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 former favorite who's i guess you know i don't know it seems like it's dwindled a little so it's gonna be fun i'm, I'm ready to get going but yeah i, I like that you uh, mentioned the, the man bun that i've sported for the first time today and got to to show you before the uh, before we got started here it's a, it's a new look i had one coach who will remain nameless cedric kaufman say on a zoom that i looked homeless at one point he's like you gotta <laughs> shave you gotta get a haircut and i want to just say from now on the next coach who says that you should see chris right now we've got <laughs> off-season locks okay we'll get formal we'll get shaved up we'll get tidied when it's time for the big stuff but for now we're enjoying letting loose and yeah i appreciate you taking the time chris joining us i know you're spending time with your family always a pleasure to have you on the show let's be clear since chris Clearly, I'm going to be on the defensive this show, even though I don't know why, but I think you guys, it's not a surprise surprise to the listeners. You guys are talking about Virginia like it's an ex-girlfriend of mine, as if like, oh, you know, Gruskin, this is the longest relationship you had, and she crushed you when she broke up with you, and now we're talking about her again today. Are you going to be okay? I'm going to be okay. I I think I'm going to be just fine. I was at the National Indoors last year when this Virginia team had the performance, perhaps, of the tournament on opening day. And just across the board, when this Virginia team beats Ohio State kickoff weekend, they were one of the surprise teams of the 2021 season. We'll get to all of that. Before we do, though... Opening tangent, you know, the warm-up swings here, our five-minute warm-up to get rocking and rolling, of course. I'm going to use this as a shameless plug to promote our Power 5 college coaching interviews. If you listen to those conversations, not only will you hear teams previewed for their 2022 season, you're going to hear me discuss with all these college tennis head coaches some of the big picture topics going around college tennis right now. One of them, Maddie, and I swear to God, this might be my hottest take to date, but in the next 10 years... It would not shock me whatsoever if tennis moves to a simultaneous start where we play four rounds of singles, one round of doubles. That's the format of the sport. Everything worth one. It's best of five points. Everything start or best of, excuse me, first best of five points. Yeah, first to three and everything starts at once. I'm telling you, that's the next big change coming to college tennis. You're giving me a look like I'm crazy. Where did that come from? It's the idea of getting it for the TV format because I do think right now getting everything condensed, and it's not just college tennis. It's college sports in in general. Two hours, three hours, you're trying to fit it into a TV window. Quite frankly, with the 40 minutes of the doubles point, then however long singles takes, it's really hard to do that with the current construct of college tennis. There's also that lull for fans when you're in person. I'm not saying at the NCAA tournament, but in the regular season, doubles point ends. And as one coach framed it to me, you're almost giving uh, fans an excuse to leave after that doubles point because it's the next stage of the match beginning. You remove all of that by incorporating the simultaneous start. I think if there's ever going to be another big change in college tennis, that's what it's going to be. Well, I don't like it. I mean, what you're telling me is you're going to have to have double specialists then because you can't play singles and doubles both. You can only do one or the other. Well, you're right in the broader sense, although I think the way they would combat that, there's two rules that have been suggested to me. A... You just you're not allowed to play the same doubles team more than once in an NCAA tournament. So you you got to pick your doubles teams wisely. You can't just throw the same team out there every time. B 
substitutions, Maddie. Team, once they're done with doubles, they can sub into the singles. Come on now. Uh, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. I absolutely <laughs> hate it. I will never get on board with this. I don't like it. I don't know what else you want me to say, man. Whoever came up with it, I mean, look, the TVs, I understand we want to be streaming this more and we want to get college tennis out there. Like, I'm all for that, but we can't compromise sport. Like, we can't just change everything. I mean, that's not going to be the college tennis that we know and love. I mean, we're going to get to a point where I'm not going to like it anymore. I mean, here's the thing. You want to attract new fans, but you also want to keep your core fans, fans that have been around for years that show up to matches, your most dedicated, passionate fans, a la us. You don't want to ruin that for those people, right? I mean, you really don't. That That's the last thing I think anybody would want to do. So, I mean, I hope we don't, I really hope we don't get to that point. That'll piss me off if it does. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I would love, I'm with Maddie in that I don't like it, but I'm not going to say that I don't see that it's possible, right? I, because if if it's for, you know, the reasons of TV format and trying to get it in, in you know, a sub two hour time frame, if you will, right? Okay, most of your college singles matches, you know, unless it comes down to a three set thriller are probably, you know, you, you probably get the match clinched in less than two hours if you're playing five matches that start all at once uh so so yeah that probably gets it there i don't like i really hate the thought of what you're suggesting for doubles because what i can see is you just throw out your biggest servers in doubles so if you're baylor right you throw you throw adrian and somebody else out there win or lose who the hell cares they're done in 45 minutes and he subs in at number four singles and wins i don't care if he, you know he comes in down down you know six two four four one and says that's fine i'm playing their number four that, I got <laughs> that sounds you know? like good coaching but what's to say that coach b in response doesn't say i'm not gonna let you do that look what i'm playing in doubles and i do think there are rules to get out of that doesn't make coaching a more integral part of the sport absolutely but I like the aspect of incorporating substitutions. I know, you know, again, talking with coaches, a lot of them have made the argument that it doesn't compromise the development. That if you want these players to worry about, you know, their focus, their intensity, point in, point out, you want to see no lulls, hold over their heads that, hey, if you're not performing on this given day, you're going to sub them out. And to Chris's point, when you're playing with the TV format, respectfully, like, this is the way to do that. This is the only way to do it. The other proposal is to go back old school, play doubles after the singles. Now, immediately you will hear coaches say, well, we're not even going to get to the doubles because what happens if we have four points after the singles? I would say, well, okay, in order to incentivize it, you make every doubles rubber worth one point. It's not the doubles point anymore. You're playing for three individual points in doubles. That's the way to incentivize playing it more. B, and to get back to the point I made at the beginning, and Manny, I want to go to you next on this one. Don't you feel that lull as a fan? Now, we're the hardcore fans, so we're watching that first set so intensely. We want to see how the first 15, 20 minutes go. But if you are a casual fan at the match, after the intensity, the adrenaline rush that is the doubles point, respectfully, the next 40 minutes don't mean that much. Like, things don't really pick up again, unless you're the hardcore fan, until it's 4-1. 
until it's 5-2, until you have some first sets coming off the board, or maybe you have a blowout and a quick singles point is going off the board to shift momentum as well. And I do worry about that for not only the hardcore fans, who of course will watch anything, like I do think to an extent, you're right, you don't want to betray them, you don't want to take advantage of them, but I think as long as you're playing... As long as you're playing with, you know, these with the green balls and everyone's got rackets in their hands and it looks like tennis and it feels like tennis, it is tennis. I don't worry about that as much. I do worry about, again, growing the sport and you got to get on TV to do that. And I, I do wonder sometimes, do you just play the double second? Like, is that the move here to make it? Because I do, I, I feel that lull. Like, I understand that the feeling that that first hour of singles, yes, it matters to the hardcore fans, but you're giving the casual fans a way to bail out. You're talking to the wrong guy here, man. Like, I'm not the guy that should be answering these questions because I don't like any of it. No, I don't want to play double second. I enjoy it the way that it is. Get that doubles out of the way first. It's super exciting. I I know what you're talking about when everybody starts their singles matches, right? And you kind of spread out on all six courts and things calm down a little. Look, I I understand what you're saying, but there's still plenty of action. I mean, for me, you've got six singles matches going on. You know, maybe not all of them are going to be super exciting, but I guarantee you there's going to be a couple matches out of the six that are going to be interesting, even in the first set. I'm not talking about, you know, in a third set or whatever. So I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm not the guy to ask these questions to because I hate all of it. You know, I, I, I like tennis. I like being there for five straight hours. Personally, I want to see everything. I want to see all the doubles. I want to see all the singles, all of that good stuff. Give me everything. I don't want to condense it and cut it down. And I mean, I get it for, for streaming, uh, for streaming purposes, TV, all of that. But again, it's, it's not for me. No, this is why it's good to have you on the show. I want to hear that argument, and you represent the many passionate fans who listen to this podcast, and I'm sure many of them heard me bring up the topic, and they're ready to punch me in the face. They're like, shut up. We're not making another format change. Speaking of punch in the face, Chris, final word goes to you. Yeah, I think honestly, Alex, before we did that, what I would rather see is I would rather see us go to as soon as a match is available to go on, it goes on, which might mean that there are matches that can go on while the doubles is being played. Because if both of the number two guys aren't playing doubles, fine, they go on. But then as, you know, number two doubles comes off, if two of those guys are playing each other or whatever the case, right? You know, a, the second doubles match comes off and you split one, one, four guys aren't out there at certainly almost, almost assuredly, some of them are playing each other they get going in singles right away. Is there a chance that still no singles matches go on before the doubles is completely decided? Yes, there's a chance, but most of the time, I would venture to guess that 80% or better of the time, you would start some singles matches before doubles ended if you took that up to eliminate the lull that you're talking about. Yeah, I get it. I mean, we don't mind it, but I do get that, yeah, you get a a five-plus-minute break and a bunch of kids. Heck, I go to a lot of matches and, you know, they they incentivize the kids to come with their points on whatever app they use, right? Your points on campus show up to the match. They all come. There's a giveaway between uh, doubles and singles. And then as soon as singles starts, they all leave. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to keep the action going, just get some matches going before that. And then there's never a break. And 
I would almost rather see that than than kind of go to where you only play doubles or singles. Or I think the substitution gets really difficult to to do. I like in theory, I like the concept, but in a in a college sport where you're trying to maintain integrity of lineup order, it gets really hard. Sure, you can sub in a lower place guy for a higher place guy, uh, but how many how many college coaches are going to do that? You know, bring their number five in to play number one? Probably not. Five to play four, maybe. You know that that's okay. But but you know, if your number one guy's having a bad day, probably not subbing him out. Or once he goes out, is he then wasted and can't come back in? Well, the only place he could come back in is one, or else he's going lower in the lineup. So, uh, I, the su- I think the substitution thing, while albeit fun, would be very hard to work out. I'd much rather just see if we're trying to break up the gap, just just get matches on as soon as they can be played. It's fair. I would disagree and say even if in the current format you could bring on, uh, you could still have substitutions. And I do think again, talking to these coaches, having it hanging over the head. I think it would bring out another level of intensity and focus for all these players without compromising the development. I also just think from a fan perspective, like, let's go to Illinois. If you knew Kawaisi Kenyatta was coming in as the closer, you get the scoreboard going, you get the lights going, we're bringing in the closer for this final service game— I think that's a fantastic development for college tennis. I don't think that compromises anything. I don't think you would see a coach leave out his number one singles player and be like, all right, we're going to sub you into five right now just to get this one point on the board. Why would you do that to compromise the rest of the lineup? And even if you're – I just – like I I don't – yes, people would find out how to game it, but it takes more work to figure out how to game it than it would be to just play out your normal lineup and then incorporate that substitution. My last one for you, Maddie. Would you be fine if coaches got a 90-second timeout? If just at some point in the match, you could have, you know, again, timeout, Coach Woodson. He's taking his 90-second. Play stops on every court. You bring the guys in. You send them back out. No. No. <laughs> this is These are just gimmicks. Like, in yeah. my opinion, everything you're talking about is so gimmicky. Okay. Substitutions and timeout. Like, let's line up and play tennis, boys. Like, that's what I want to do. Quit with the gimmicks get out of here. This isn't some little kid, you know, play thing. I mean, we're talking about high level collegiate sports here. Like let's forget the gimmicks. Let's play. That's, that's how I view it. So my answer to your question is no, don't want to see it. Purist through and through Chris. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not much for the gimmicks. Although I, I do like seeing, I like seeing some change every now and then. And I think it would be very interesting if they could eliminate too many of the gimmicks, if there was a little bit of change there and seeing the different coaching styles, you know, like, so the sec guys that I know, well, right. Brian Shelton would be like business as usual. He's Maddie's guy. I'm playing my six guys. They're not coming out. There's no subs. There's no nothing. Those are my best guys. That's what we're doing. Andy Jackson. I got the game. We'll, I can tell you exactly how we're going to fix this. You know, we're, we're doing this and then Alex is coming in over here and that, you know, but so it'd be interesting to see how, you know, the guys that were really into, into that and then the guy, you know, and then the other guys that are just, no, we're, we're just playing, I'm playing my six guys and that's it. Uh, so yeah, I don't know about the subs, but yeah, I, I don't think change, change isn't bad. And, and if indeed it really would give us both the opportunity to have more TV coverage and actually draw fans via TV coverage, then I'd be game for some sorts of changes, not too extreme, 
but something that would draw more exposure and more fan base, I, I'd be game for trying. All right. I think that's a fair place to leave it. And if listeners would like to hear more and hear the thoughts of head coaches on these topics, head on over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, Power 5 Coaching Series. We're going to try and hit them all before the start of the 2022 season. All right. With that said, what did we come here to do? Not discuss gimmicks we came here to talk college contenders and with that in mind let's get to our number five men's team all right maddie we start with number five uh number six excuse me number six leave it in but i knew we're at number six let's go to number six university of virginia who they were extraordinarily young Coming into last season, of course, highly touted recruiting class, number three in the country. They bring in Jeffrey von der Schulenberg and Yanti Montez, Chris Rodesh, Alex Kiefer. We knew they were reloading the cupboards after losing a Brandon Nakashima, after losing a Henrik Wiersholm, after, lo- you know, you had one year left of Carl Soderlund, but that nucleus was going away. And it was officially a Coach Pedroso, it felt like, team, guys that he brought in, guys that, you know, again, he has shaped this culture now. And obviously, it was a successful season for the Hoos, and it started on the kickoff weekend. This team goes to Columbus opening weekend for the Ty Tucker Tennis Center, and they beat the Buckeyes on the Buckeyes home courts. 4-2 win for them. They also beat an Iowa team before that. They knock out Chris's Liberty as well, of course. Then they go to the National Indoor Championships. 4-3 match. They win over a banged-up TCU team. They had UNC on the ropes, and if they win that doubles point, who knows what happens, but in the end, North Carolina knocks them out 4-2. Now, it was a fascinating 4-3 loss for them against a Kovalis, Illinois at, uh, in that final match, but again, another 4-3 performance for them. From there, Matty, they didn't lose until uh, the NCAA tournament. After that, National Indoors, they make it all the way to the NCAA round of 16, knocked out 4-2 by a veteran USC team. And obviously, this team coming in, I believe they were the number five seeds or the four seeds at the NCAA tournament. They were certainly favored to knock off the Trojans last year. With all of the success they had throughout the season, obviously it ends in the end of NCAA round of 16. So when you look at last year, success, failure, where are you at with the, with the Hoos? Oh, I have to say success, Groskin. I mean, I as, as you would like to say, I, I think the Who's are back, baby. I really <laughs> do. I mean, last season was tremendous. I mean, you mentioned their losses. They lose twice at indoors, right, in a tournament format to Carolina and then uh, to Illinois. They don't lose again until the, their final match of the season against USC. So when you roll through an entire you know slate of, of matches and you drop three of them on the year – that's fantastic. Now, of course, they're going to be disappointed that they lost that match to USC. You know, they definitely had their sights set a little bit higher than that. But man, I mean, that match against Ohio State that you referenced, I mean, that for me, that was one of like the lasting memories that I'm going to have from last year is that Virginia-Ohio State match. I think we can all agree, like early in the season, that was just... That was a banger. I mean, we were like, whoa, the Who's are back now. This is crazy. These freshmen are really performing even higher than what our expectations were for them. So overall, you know, that was a huge step in the right direction for Coach Pedroso. He's got his guys in there now, and I think they're going to continue it forward. Last year was really going to be the start now 
of a little bit of a rebirth. I mean, we know how good Virginia has been over the last decade, couple, you know, a couple decades or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. But after a lot of those guys left, Ty Kwiatkowski, Colin Altamoreno, I mean, there were so many Alex Richard those guys won all their titles. But then after that, you know, Coach Bolin leaves. We have Pedroso coming in. And there were a couple years there where it was like, eh, you know, these aren't the who's that we're, we're accustomed to. But last year they brought it back, man. And I, I think they're going to continue to go forward. Well, the 2019 Virginia team was fascinating because they had Carl, who was a top 10 player in the country. They had Brandon, who by the end was a top 10 player in the country. And then, you know, Henrik and... Uh, that that was a really good nucleus. That said, it just felt like the depth wasn't quite there for that team. Obviously, the way it had been in their championship era. And now, I mean, you look at last season, this team had depth. And you nailed it, Maddie. I know I tried to tease it there just to make sure Virginia fans were at the edge of their seat. Last season was an unequivocal success for the Hoos, 23-3 and overall. And most importantly, it's that the young core were the people experiencing so much success. You go back to that Ohio State match. This team takes the doubles point right away. They get the wins from Van der Schulenberg and Montez at three. They get the win from Getz and Rodesh at two. So that's the three freshmen right away going to Columbus unafraid. They take the doubles point. Now, of course, some of that had to do with Ohio State, but we'll talk about them. Spoiler alert next week. Um, You look at the singles performance as well. The Doc. Four and five over Trotter, Montez, two and three over Selig. And obviously, you know, Gianni Ross had a big bounce back year last year. He wins his final 10 matches of the dual match season. The young guys had so much success throughout the course of the year. And you just, to your point, then they got the lumps. Like when they, you know, for a young team, you want to see them lose. And let's go back to 2014 when Kwiatkowski and, you know, again, Aragoni and, and that group of guys ended up losing to USC in in the NCAA semifinals with Damajan and Frank, and that was a match they really should have won, and it felt like they had it on their racket. Yana Kahneman hits this insane falling backwards forehand cross-court pass on Damajan. I can see the shot perfectly in my mind. That was the peak of my Virginia fandom. I miss you, ex-girlfriend. Don't you, don't you forget it. Um, but this team took those lumps last year— and it was just they got to experience all that college tennis have to, has to offer, running the table, being the team in the ACC, beating North Carolina twice. And, yeah, I know North Carolina was banged up. But, look, they beat them 4-3 in that ACC tournament final. You know, Will was able to play doubles in that match. I believe UNC takes the doubles point in that match before falling 4-3. Those are the wins you just can't teach to a young nucleus and they got it last year and again Chris I'll go to you here when you look at this Virginia team moving forward I mean yes they lose Carl that final connective thread to the dynasty years but you know how and and you know Gianni as well but how can you feel anything but positive about what this team was able to accomplish last season oh I yeah oh, excuse me Gianni back. back this year my back Gianni a, a raging success right I mean as as you talked about last week, you were coining the the year too early phrase, right? Yeah. Well, because we talk about that with teams that are full of freshmen and they almost always need that first year just to settle in, especially the ones that aren't American because they don't, you know, they've not experienced college tennis. They, you know, they play individual tennis. They don't know what the whole team thing is really about. Maybe they've played some club tennis, but 
but even that is still more individual than uh, than and, and not referring to your club tennis of your Michigan <laughs> days, Gruskin, but more the club tennis like it was German a reflex. League. Listeners want to know why Chris just made that is because I yeah. flipped him off when he said club tennis. Yeah, I meant more like the club tennis, your German know. leagues, your Italian leagues, etc. But uh, but yeah, I mean the you know they they could for all the teams that we've talked about of well you know yes we were really high on them but they're freshmen well these guys you can get rid of the butt like we weren't even we weren't even high on them to start the year and the freshmen just came out and, and stole it like we had no honestly Rodesh was totally under the radar for us because he was coming off of injury didn't have a lot of history behind him uh, we didn't know you know going back even further how good a junior he really was prior to being injured and then, yeah, Rodesh, Mon, you know, Montez, Van der Schulenberg come in and just absolutely kill it. And, you know, last year they still had had Soderlin there. Then you got Getz behind it. You got Gianni Ross behind him, uh, you know. And and so this year, yeah, I, I don't even think they're, you know, they look at this year and they go, yeah, it hurts. We lose Carl. But, okay, we bring in Barr. Great. That's, you know, you know I'm not going to call it an even trade, but you're getting quality, you know, no matter what. Uh, and you got Gianni back. So, I mean, and, and you bring in Jackson Allen. Absolutely. I mean, is it so? So, yeah, you, you're going to have you're actually going to have a dogfight for a lineup spot. Uh, I think even more so than you had last year. I think you said, as you said, Gianni finished really strong. He, you know, honestly, he didn't start very well. And we were all wondering, wow, is Gianni even going to be playing? We knew what he used to, you know, what he what kind of form he had had previously wasn't there and then he got on a roll we kind of knew what that lineup was going to be every day by the time we got towards the end of the season for virginia uh there were six clear guys that were going to be playing in the singles lineup uh, you know this year there you might have you might have more battle which is always good for a team to have healthy competition uh it's gonna yeah it's a really good team and the future's really bright those three freshmen i look back really on it and obviously i'm biased but since that class of four guys that Mississippi State brought in that finished back-to-back top 10 years in their career, hell, Virginia did it and came out in their freshman year and was there with three, with three freshmen in there. It's hard to do with that many guys coming in at once. You know, usually you see schools bring two guys in, and that's, you know, for more reasons than just that. It's, you know, you, you hate to see them all leave at once because then you've got a monster recruiting job to do. but. Uh, but yeah, to bring that many new guys in and be as good as they were right out of the gates and win the first match in Columbus since Oklahoma did it in the pioneer days. I mean, you know, that was that was crazy. Yeah. First of all, you accused me of this Virginia fandom. Chris found a way to sneak this all back into a Mississippi State comparison. Like Absolutely. Come on now. And again, when we look back at this class number three in twenty twenty this could be a class you look back and it should have been like, should it have been number one? Because again, Alex Kiefer was not a guy who contributed to the extent that we know he will contribute to these Cavaliers throughout the course of this season. If you're selling on Alex Kiefer after year one, you are making a big mistake. And, you know, again, I want to talk about the roster, what they bring back this season, why we are so uh, high on them. And, you know, Chris just teased the additions of Barr, of Jackson. We'll get into that. 
But I also think there's some low-hanging fruit for this team from last season, in particular in the way the freshmen ended the year. And I'm not diminishing what Jeffrey Von der Schulenberg was able to do last season. Von der Schulenberg, 16-6 overall in dual matches, 7-4 at two singles, 6-1 at three, that only loss being a three-set loss to Zeke Clark on day three of the National Indoors, his first big weekend of tennis, getting used to the physicality of an event like that. And that's the key for me, is I do think we saw these freshmen, I don't want to say they lost their legs at the end of the season, but they were not as fit last May as they will be every May in their career moving forward. Because simply put, the wear and tear on these freshmen was evident. And you look for Von den Schulerberg, he lost his last four decisions of last year. Now you look at the players who they were to, a loss to Cernok, 0-2, you know, a three-set loss, 7-5 in the third to Arthur Ferry, 2-5 to Riley Smith, 1-0 to Duarte Valle. Like, those are not bad losses by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not trying to say that he had a bad year because he was exceptional last year, one of the top freshmen in the country. But you did see some drop-off there. You look for Chris Rodesh, very similar. He lost three of his last four decisions to Louisville, to Josh Peck of North Carolina, to Destonic of USC. That was a three-set loss. But still, you know, again, you, you would have liked to see a little bit more from him. Now, the difference was Inyaki wins his last five. And Inyaki just... He fit hand in a glove in college tennis, and we can talk about that as we look here towards 2022. But, Maddie, I'll give you the first look because when you look at this roster, it probably starts with does that sophomore class take another leap forward, right? And you look at the records last season. I mean, they were so good. Uh, you know, Von der Schulenberg 16 and 6, Inyaki 18 and 4, Rodash 15 and 7. You combine that all together. Let's see, 33 plus 16 is 49. 13 uh, plus 4 is 17. So 49 and 17. Can those three do that again this season? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. they absolutely can. I have no doubts about that. In fact, that's my expectation. There, okay. I mean, I would be surprised if if it was anything less than that. I really do. I think all three of these guys are going to improve. And you mentioned Alex Kiefer as well. You know, we keep saying the three guys that that really contributed. But you're right, Alex. I mean, Kiefer, um, you know, he's going to be in the mix as well. Very talented player. So it starts with those guys. That's the that is now the core of this team is that class from last year. But what I love about the who's you've got depth and experience as well. We're talking about a guy like Barbotzer, right? That's been around for a national champion, right? He's gone as far as you can go. He's done it all with Wake Forest. That's a great addition. You've got guys like Ryan Getz, who's now been around for a while. He's a veteran of the sport. He knows what's going on. Gianni Ross is going to be in his fifth year. Um, You know, Jackson Allen comes in. It's a great mixture because you've got the young guys, and those are the studs, right? The young guys are going to be the ones racking up wins, carrying a majority of the weight, I think. They're the most talented players on the team. However, when you can fill in with, you know, an older Barbotzer, and we don't know what Barbotzer we're going to get, right? Are we getting the real good high-level Barbotzer, or is this a different version of Barbotzer? That's, you know, we'll, we'll find out. But you mix him in, even if he's not, you know, as good as we remember him, Jackson Allen, Ryan Getz, Gianni Ross, come on, man. I mean, that makes up for a great team. You've got a little bit of everything. You've got depth. You've got talent. You've got experience. I really like the makeup of the roster this year. 
Well, this gets to my bar bots are going to play 15 matches max theory because, and this is the first roster I've really felt it with all due respect to TCU because they've got a really good six, but seven, eight, nine, we're not sure with all due respect to Stanford. There are a bunch of good players in there, but they're not all proven commodities. This is the first roster you look at Maddie and Chris, where I just go, how the f*** is this not team not our preseason number one? Where it's just like, the talent is extraordinary. Because you're right. You bring in all of these different guys in Botzer who has clinched a national championship. Not just won it, he has clinched a national championship. And I know I refer to this team far too frequently. But the 2019 Wake Forest team will be a case study to me in what is possible in individual will. And I swear to f- and I apologize for back-to-back F-bombs in 30 seconds. But if you watch that team, and Chris, we were at those national indoors in Chicago. Borna, Petros, and Barr were just like, get on my back, and we will carry this weight. We're like, they were like, we're not losing before the final. Like, just one of you <laughs> win. Like, that's all we need from one of you. We're going to do our job. The rest of you do your thing. Barbotzer has done that on a college roster, and you cannot undersell the value of just having that you know we talk about the clutch gene and i know mathematically statisticians have tried to prove that it's not a real thing but barbotzer has been there there's not going to be a scenario that overwhelms him and do we get the best version of him probably not like it's probably not going to be the 2018 barbot 2019 barbotzer but even if we get 90 percent of that and this gets to my him playing four or five singles theory which you can legitimately do with the pay with the way this roster has performed and you know, you mentioned Alex Kiefer, 10-2 and two this fall, and he didn't get the biggest wins, but he beat everyone he was supposed to beat. His only two losses are in three sets. Rodesh has a huge fall. He goes 10-2 and two overall, wins the consolation at the ITA All-American. His serve, his size, would it shock me if you throw him at the number one position? You throw, you know, Van der Schulenberg at two, Montez in three, and then you get to play with Botzer, Allen, Kiefer, Ross, you know, Getz in those three through six positions or four through six positions. Like, come on now. And I mean, this team already, again, I mentioned the single success they had last season. They go 134 overall in singles in dual matches last year. They're already winning 75% uh, of their matches. The only flights where they didn't win at least 65% of their matches last year was number two singles. The only flight where they didn't win at least 79% of their matches was number two and six. Like This team already was that good. And Chris, I'll open up the floor to you here. I apologize for that little monologue. Maybe I am still a Who's fan at heart. I think that's what that rant tells you. Um, but this team is extraordinarily talented. Oh, absolutely. They're extraordinarily talented. I mean, I go, I'll go back. I'm not going to get carried away to your, how are they not number one? Well, because I put the Florida lineup next to it. And on paper, I don't care. I'll give you, I'll give you the best bar you've ever seen and putting him at one. And you're still going to take the Florida lineup on paper. Does that mean Virginia can't beat him? Absolutely not. Okay. Virginia can beat I should have, to clarify, when I say, I can't believe they're not number one. I mean, in any other season, this team probably starts number one, number two, number three. We have them at six. That fact to me, that's where it's just like, this is nuts. Yeah, and I, and I do think a lot of that, to your, to your point, although I, I honestly believe this is going to work out in the favor of Virginia big time, your take, which I think will be accurate, of Barr playing lower in the lineup, I agree he is not going to play 
more than 15 matches. He's not a guy trying to make a pro tennis career. He's not going to be hitting up Coach Pedroso for court time saying, I want to be playing every week and getting mad if he's sitting, right? He's going to be happy to let Coach Pedroso let Alex Kiefer, if he say maybe is the seventh guy or whoever it may be, get time and for Barr to sit out and focus on his studies, getting his degree and going on to be the business guy that he wants to be. And and he'll have no issue with it. He's going to play, you know, I'm going to guess 12, 13, 14 matches. He'll sit some time out. And when you play only 12, 13, 14 matches, and by the way, he's beaten nobody to speak of with a, you know, nobody with a UTR over 13 yet in the fall. So you can easily, and had some losses that you looked at and went, huh, that's not the bar I know. You can easily say, yeah, I'm playing my three freshmen from last year at one, two, three. I'm playing bar at four. I'm playing gets at five. I'm playing Gianni at six. And that's the only reason I say Kiefer. But Kiefer could be in the lineup, right? I mean, but it's easy to make the case that bars a four guy, even when he plays and that he sits out a lot to let other guys play. And then all you want out of bar, if you're coach Pedroso is, Hey bar, when it comes, when we get to may, I need the real bar. And guess what? Because we've been sitting you the whole time. It's not a stack. You get to play four. You're a lock. I mean, yeah, we you, saw in 2018. A- it's th- yeah. yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I think it works out for him that way that he gets to keep, he gets to play him down there. He never actually has to, you know, never, never comes out and plays a whole lot and proves that, you know, coaches can challenge and he should be higher in the lineup. That's just where he deserves to be. And it works out for the team. And we've already seen, as you mentioned, what those other guys can do specifically in Yaki and Rodesh with great summer fall type type showings, uh, that you have no doubts those guys can play the one through three spots. Yeah. And let's be clear here as we look into the lineup, and this is where I think this conversation gets particularly fascinating because, you know, you look at the double success this team had last season. You know, Montez von der Schulenberg go 13 and 4 at the number three position, 3 and 0 at the number two position. You feel like you bring them back, you got a pretty good duo there. Now, Getz Rodesh. 10 and 7 overall. You lose Soderlin. You bring back Woodall. You still have a guy in Jackson Allen. Well, you know, again, you talk about Jackson Allen, and I think this is how we can get to the lineup. Jackson Allen goes 5 and 5 this fall. Like, Jackson Allen was a legitimate number one singles player for a solid Big Ten team. Like, Jackson Allen was good. He was very good. You feel like if you're getting a Jackson Allen in the bottom of your lineup, like playing him at 4, at 5, at 6, you're getting a steal. And yet, you can't definitively say he's going to be playing in the lineup. That's the crazy part because, you know, we talk about Barr not being the Barr of old. He was 9-2 and two this fall. He was pretty damn good. And, like, he you know, one bad loss. He, lost, he won his last five decisions. He'll get his act together come May. I don't think we're worried about his level. We talked about Rodash already, the fall he had. I know Vonder Schulenberg was dealing with some injuries, didn't get to play to the extent that he would have liked, but we saw the level he's capable of, his floor, as high as any player's floor, it feels like, in college tennis, match in, match out. Inyaki Montez, 6-1, and one, challenger success. Guy lives for the team dual match environment. You feel like he's a lock to play. But, you know, again, you look at last season's stats. Ryan Getz went 17-6 and six overall in dual matches. Do you feel like you want to pull him from the lineup? I don't think so. You look at, you know, again, 
Gianni Ross won his last 10 decisions on the season, 14-3 and three at the bottom of the lineup, 9-3 and three overall at number six singles. Do you want to pull him from the lineup? I don't know. And so it's interesting. I feel like 4-5-6, this team is as good as anyone, Maddie. The thing that I wonder about, let's say it's Rodesh, Montez, and Van der Schulenberg in whatever order you deem fit. Is that the vulnerability in this lineup? And how crazy does that sound to say out loud? Yeah, no, well, like, thinking about this team more over the last week or so, guys, I mean, my one big question is, who plays number one? Who steps up into that role and plays one? Because last year, it was Carl Soderlund. That was obvious. I mean, there was no question mark there. You've got one of the best players in the country at the top of your lineup. Now, who is it? I don't know. That's like the one thing that I am most excited to see. Does anybody step up in there and really take a hold of that top spot? Because the rest of it, even like two through five, regardless of who it is, I don't care. I'm good two through five. I'm just wondering about number one. But for my lineup, Gruskin, the six guys that I'm playing, at least to start the season, are going to be the five that were in the lineup last year. You lose Soderlund, but I'm going to put Barr in there. And, and again, I don't know what order. I don't know who's playing exactly where. But my six guys, no disrespect to Alex Kiefer, no disrespect to Jackson Allen, but I would roll. Will Woodall, by the way, who's not a terrible option at six at all? Will Woodall has shown that he can come in in a pinch yeah. at number six and win matches. He can, he can. So he, but you know, he's going to be a double stud, right? He's going to play that top doubles position. Will Woodall will. Um, and then if he has to come in, you know, in the lower part of the lineup in singles, he could do that, you know, here and there. I mean, I don't think he's going to be the permanent solution there, but if people get hurt or, you know, they're sick or whatever, he can definitely play there. I'm just telling you guys right now to start the season. If I'm coach Pedroso in some order, I'm not telling you the order here. I'm going to play bar. I'm going to play Dr. Vaughn, Rodesh, Inyaki, Ryan Getz, and Gianni Ross. Those are my six guys, and I'll figure out the order, whatever it's going to be. That's the six that I want to roll with. Well, the good news for this team, they are going to have so much time to figure out what order works best. Listen to these non-conference matchups. First of all, January 20th, Liberty, noon. That's as tough as it gets. And so obviously, right away, no chaser. We're getting right into it. But then, January 23rd, not even the kickoff weekend, they've got Harvard. They're playing them at home. That's a serious team. Yes, an inexperienced team, but a serious team. Then they make the Midwest swing, although Kentucky's not part of the Midwest. We'll get to that later. They're at Kentucky. They're at Ohio State. They're then at Baylor, at TCU the next week. That's before they get into their ACC schedule. Coach Pedroso comes from the Brian Bolin school of thought. To be the best, you play the best. This team is playing the best. That's as impressive of a schedule as it gets. And look, you talk about their kickoff weekend. They should get through. All due respect to Georgia Tech, Middle Tennessee, Ball State. There's a reason teams were avoiding Virginia. Because on paper, and everyone knew Botzer was going there. Everyone knew Allen was going there. When you bring in those sorts of guys to replace Carl Soderlund, you can never replace the loss of Carl, who was the shield at the top of the lineup for them last season, who was the guy playing the Blumbergs, playing the Kukermans, letting all the freshmen be a, you know shine through and experience success because he's guarding them at number one. You lose that, but they don't need that anymore. 
And I do think it's fascinating when you look at the lineup, Chris. Like, we talked about the bar playing four strategy. You could also go the reverse. Like, if you play bar at one and you can slide all of the returners right back into their slots from last season, or, you know, again, you throw in a Jackson Allen, you throw in an Alex Kiefer, whatever it may be, you can replicate, I think, last year's single success to a T. And that's, again, like... How is this team not number one? Like, I'm, I'm thinking match calculus for this team. They have every path to four in the book. Yeah, I mean, you could, but where did it get you last year? <laughs> it's true, but so we were at that USC-Virginia match, and shout out to me, as always. Good. We hadn't gotten to sneak one of those in in a while. Shout out to me for predicting USC would beat Virginia, if you recall. That was one of the one things I got that you guys did not at last year's NCAA tournament. I think that was the experience. Like, to me, to a nutshell, that loss, in a nutshell, that loss could not have been more valuable for this Virginia team. They will never let that happen again, where, you know, USC smacked them. Like, USC was the tougher team in the biggest moments, and I think this group will not allow that to happen again. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't disagree with that either, and they'll have more experience this year. And sure, could they play bar at one, you know, just to replace them for Soderlin and, and, and slide everybody down? Yeah, I, I still actually like, and I'm, I'm dead on with Maddie, except I've got an order. I, but I play the exact same six guys. And in my mind, there is zero question about the order I play them in. Do I think Coach Pedros is going to play them in the same order? No. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if it's me, there is no question between what's happened in the fall and the way these guys look right now that my lineup is Chris Rodesh at one, Inyaki at two, Vonder Schulenberg at three, Barr at four, Gets at five and Gianni at six. I mean, and, and the, the the Rodesh deal, right? Is it's a it's a combination. He's had a great fall, and he's by far got the biggest game of those guys. Indoors right? too. I and, could not agree more. Could not indoors, agree I mean, more. You, you've got yep. to start. You've got to start yep. him at, at one if you're not doing bar. In Yaki, like you said, great fall, and I mean, tremendous. Like the the fear that you have, or at least that I have, when I watch his game is man, the kid's just a grinder without a huge weapon or a huge game. I don't know if he can play with the twos. Well, hell, he's playing with the best guys in the world and challengers and beating them. So you can't say, I don't know if he can play with the twos. You want to just because he's a little guy. He doesn't have a huge, you know, no big, mon- you know, no monster serve, no monster weapon, but, but everything is good. He gets to every ball and he's a fighter. And, and yeah, he can still beat the best guys in the world. I play him at two. Von der Schulenberg, frankly, that's the one I know. Yeah, as you mentioned, maybe maybe a little hurt. You know, not the best fall in, in the world. Probably the only reason that I would say I start him at three. Now, if he's in great shape and great form back to like he was at the beginning of last year, do I maybe swap he and Inyaki? Maybe. But in my world where I want to play bar at four, that's what I do. I go, I go Rodesh, Inyaki, Von der Schulenberg, and I play bar at four. And honestly, for me, the biggest question is, is it really gets Gianni at 5-6 or is it Gianni gets at 5-6? But I'm with Maddie. Those are the guys I start. I think for sure Jackson Allen's playing doubles. We know Will Woodall's playing doubles. So those guys are already getting in. And now, so now you're down to, man, I'd still love to get Kiefer some time. Uh, so, yeah, Barr's going to sit and maybe Kiefer's the next guy out. So he's playing a lot of six anyway. I don't know. 
But I think that's the lineup I'm rolling with coming out first thing out of the year. You know, Coach Pedroso, I'm sure, would love a substitution next season just so he can get all of his guys <laughs> yeah. some playing time yeah. throughout the course yeah. of the year. And I don't even think he'd mind subbing Jackson Allen in at one if he needed yeah. to. <laughs> After exactly. I said you're not going to take your no, seven guys the four in singles, one, they would. Yeah, the four single spot is just the graduate student spot. And it's like, all right, you and Barr are going to split this flight. And however much you deem fit on any given day, you two pick. And I'm not even going to deal with it. You guys just yeah. do a tag team thing. Um, no, it's – you know, again, the more I look at this season – and for the record, I agree with you to a T. I think I exposed it earlier, so you stole it from me. Rodash starts the year at number one. Indoors, it just makes so much sense. Now, outdoors is a different ball game, But the only place I flip with you, Chris, is I play the Doc at two and I go Montez three because Montez is the beating heart of this team. And I just want him winning as much as possible. And just by virtue of the position, because you can play them both interchangeably at two and three, I'm putting in Yaki at three, not because I think he'll have more success than Jeffrey at that spot. I just want him winning as much as possible. I want my team hearing him roaring on court number three and just seeing that fight, seeing that intensity. So that's where I would flip it with you. But the more I look at all of these teams— the doubles point is going to be f-ing everything this year. It is going to be everything because I just don't know how anyone finds four singles wins. Now, on the right day, of course, some teams are just going to play better. They're going to earn four singles wins. That's college tennis. Ultimately, as Maddie said at the beginning, you roll the balls out, you play. But why I like this team sneakily is to your point, Chris. You've got a lot of doubles pieces. Woodall and Soderlin weren't exceptional last year, but there is nothing on a doubles court that Will Woodall will be intimidated by. Jackson Allen has been that good uh, in, in doubles throughout the course of his career. And obviously, Minnesota doubles always been very, very good at that. He's got the system. He's got the, the fundamental skills in place. You have your teams in von der Schulenberg and Montez from last year. And then perhaps most notably, you look this fall, 8-1 and one are Getz and Rodesh this year. They're back. They're playing confidently also. Maddie, this team's got the doubles components. You look, again, it's so tough at this point, but we can start talking predictions. We can start talking national slate. I think what's so key for this team is because they play TCU, Ohio State, Kentucky, Baylor. If they can go 2-2 two and two in those, you know, God willing, 3-1, and one, they will be a top four seed. And seeding is going to be seeding in doubles is going to be everything. That's why I sneaky like this team's chances looking towards May. What say you? Yeah, I mean they are going to have every opportunity to score major ranking points with the schedule that they set up. I mean, there is going to be no stone unturned. I mean, they will have every opportunity to be at the very top of the rankings, which is a good thing because. You know, as Chris has talked about so many times, you don't even have to win those matches. When you're going on the road against top 10 teams, you can lose those and not be penalized. But if you win one, it's massive. And so Virginia is going to have that opportunity. And I do agree, Gruskin. We we have them at six. They could be ranked so much higher. They really could. We said the same thing about Stanford last week, right? On paper, when looking at that roster, we're going – This could be a top five team, top four, no question about it. That's how many good teams there are. That's the The best preseason six in college tennis history. It's going to be such a fun season because now that we're getting into these top five, six teams, 
every single roster is loaded and it's just going to come down to a few points here and there you mentioned the doubles which is going to be crucial um i do think in terms of the acc this year virginia is pretty significantly the top team like most years we're talking about north carolina virginia wake forest and we have them grouped up there at the top I do think the ACC conference is going to be a little bit more open this year, guys. Um, and so for me, it's very clear. I have UVA all the way at the top, you know, ahead of Wake, ahead of North Carolina, Duke, NC State, Notre Dame, you know, Florida State, all those teams. I I really like Virginia to repeat as ACC regular season and uh, conference tournament champs. I have no questions about that on the national scale. I mean, they have to make the quarterfinal. I mean, there there is no way this team, you know, they lose in the round of 16 last year. I, I'm I'm almost willing to guarantee they're going a step further. They're going to make the quarterfinals. The question is, can they make the final four? Can they make that championship match? Can they even win the national title? I think they have that potential. If things do break the right way for them, the ingredients are there for them to go all the way. There's just so many teams at this point, I I don't like I don't know what to do. I'm not gonna put them I'm not gonna put them there yet. Just because there's a couple other rosters. Chris brought up Florida before. I'm really high on Tennessee this year, Baylor. Some of these other teams that I just I, I don't know, man. I'm gonna have Virginia right now finishing in the quarterfinals. They're in my top eight. I'm not gonna put them in my final four, but I almost feel kind of guilty not doing that because they can easily do it. I mean, there's no question they could do it. And I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't blink an eye. Like they're if they make the final four or even the championship, okay, good on them. I, I won't be you shocked at all. Well, you talked about it on the conference side. I think, you know, again, what's going to benefit the SEC for Florida, for Tennessee to have the opportunity to battle each other throughout the course of the year and for Baylor and Texas and TCU to have the opportunity to battle each other throughout the course of the year. And look, again, from a scheduling standpoint, Coach Pedroso nailed it. He's giving his guys the opportunity to see the best very early in the season to set the standard. Hey, this is what the winning team looked like. We have that in us. We got to get there. It's going to be interesting because you're right. Wake's good, but how good? We don't know. North Carolina, yep. if Rinky's back, yeah, they'll be solid, but we don't know how good. And so it's not the clear cut. You know, this is more 2011 Virginia, where they're probably going to get through an undefeated ACC season and probably do it pretty comfortably. Although Wake Forest is the wild card, I continue to throw that out there. But you're right, like, looking nationally, man, the team that gets that confidence from the national indoors to make semifinals, finals of that event, and, you know, again, if Virginia can go 2-2 two and two or 3-1 and one in those four huge non-conference matches, that would do such wonders for this team. Still, is this team still one year away? Like, they will have that whole core in 2023. And so, is 2022 a year too soon? We go to our year too soon expert, Chris Halliores. Chris. Give me the prediction. I, do I? I mean, I'm not going to say it's a year too soon. This could be their year, <laughs> but I'm right. I'm right there with Matt. Like I don't. I'm not the re. I'm not picking them just like Maddie's not into the final four because of the teams we've got there, but not because I think it's a year too soon. Just because I think at least right. at this point there are four other teams that I just I can't figure out how to not put there. 
uh, yeah. that, that I've got in front of them. But, but could it be them? Absolutely. I mean, those teams are so, so close in my mind, barring in my mind, the top team, but uh, you know, it's so razor thin that sure it could be any of them. And no, I don't think it's a year too soon. They could win the whole thing. Uh, It wouldn't, it would not shock me at all. I mean, like I think we talked last week, anything inside, you know, anything inside our top eight is, you know, it's fair game. They're all legit contenders uh, to win a national championship. And it's not going to shock me if they get there, but no, I'm, I'm with Maddie. I think absolutely. They don't lose in the round of 16 this year. They make the quarters. I just, I, if I'm picking my final four right now, I didn't, you know, we've got them ranked six. I didn't put them in my top four. I can't pick them as, no. as a final four team. Not going to surprise me if they're there, but they're not my final four. I mean, I, you've already, you already teased earlier that next week we talk Ohio state. Then you've got in some order, as Maddie had talked about, you've got Florida and Tennessee and Baylor and, and the other team is Texas still to come. With those teams up there in front of them, I just can't put them there. So, yeah, I think they win the conference. They win the conference tournament. Uh, I'm with you. Wake's still a wild card. Seen no official announcement. I'm still not. I'm still assuming no Henry Squire. I don't I don't know with 100% certainty that that's true. He could be back. Uh, makes a big difference for that Wake team. Uh, but they are another team with, with or without him. They're going to have a crazy amount of depth. You know, they've got, you know, 10 guys that can play four through six. Uh, so, so that's, that's a wild card team, but yeah, no, I clearly we need, we need Rinky at North Carolina to make that uh, even interesting, if you will. And Virginia still just has too, too much depth, I think. Uh, and then the rest, you know, the rest is a little bit more of a drop. Uh, so they, they should fairly comfortably take regular season. And I think, you know, anything can happen in the tournament, but the conference tournament as well. And then I'll give them quarters and I have it at that for the year. Would you say guys, hang on one second, Gruskin, if, if we actually get the eight teams, you know, maybe that we're thinking about in the quarterfinals, how good are those matches going to be? Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be I. Like Brad Dancer, if you are hearing this, that'll be day one in Champagne. By the way, I don't know if this is news or not. It is going to be the round of 16 format from 2019 and 2020. So, super regionals. Yeah, super regionals. We're back on the road this year. Um, I, I, and those top eight. I was just like, please, can I be on the call? I was like, please, please. <laughs> I'll be on my best behavior. Like, oh, Maddie, you're you're so right. It's gonna be, and that's where seating comes into this. And it's it's just like, man, it's where do you so put them? Tough. It's so tough. I mean, we've we've established. I think they're winning the conference. I think they go undefeated. I think it's another ACC title for the Who's this year. It's interesting because it does feel like this team can still get a little bit better, though, right? Because we haven't seen Botzer in a while. The sophomores are all positioning themselves well. All they, you know, if, if even one of them makes a jump forward in level, like even if they just replicate what they did last season, that's fine. But if one of them makes a jump, oh boy, I really like the doubles pieces they have. But man, have you seen the rosters of like Texas? And, I like their depth better than. Well, can we start comparing them to other teams? I like their depth better than Tennessee. Like, I think they're a little bit more injury proof than Tennessee is. I think Tennessee's six have the potential to be a little bit better than Virginia's six. 
But I, if, if there are injuries, you know, assuming the normal course of injuries, like this Virginia team's got eight, nine guys. Like they can withstand an injury or two and be just fine throughout the course of the year. <sighs> That's fine, Gruskin. I'll let you throw Tennessee out because I knew that's where you were going to go. You can have that. Throw Tennessee out. Florida, Baylor, Texas, Ohio State. (sighs) Now who are you throwing out? Well, they beat Ohio State last year, and I like their depth better than Ohio State, but not by much, man. Ohio State's depth's freaking ridiculous. Uh, I was going to say, but the thing is, Tennessee's so good, too. But they had so many things break their way last season as well. Uh, man. Yeah, but it's like you have to throw Tennessee out, and then you still have to throw someone else out just to get them into the top four. I'm not making a That's prediction. That's why it's hard. I'm out. Um, no. I'll say, hey. I'm just, like, thinking who are my locks for the I don't even know who I'm going to say wins the damn thing. Um I haven't well, decided. You know, you know you're locking Florida and Baylor to the finals, so or to the final four. I well, mean, no, no, just, yeah, to, to the just in the final four. four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know you're going to lock. Baylor. Am I locking I them? Think. I mean, you are. I, yeah, I probably. Come am. on, but Ohio State. All right, I am we'll get too. into we'll get into this next yeah. week. But the things you hear out of Columbus right now, I mean, duh, to say they've got a squad on their hands, but like Ohio State had the perfect fall. Ohio State won the fall, and they're our number five team. Like, it's just, this is, I know this is why you pay us the average bucks. This is why you listen. For us to make predictions, do this. They have Barbotzer. Having a national champion matters. They beat the Buckeyes last year. 2022 is not 2021. Semifinals. Semifinals. It came out of my mouth. Semifinals. This team took some heartbreak last year. Lock it in. I'll find two other teams for regression this season in our top five. I don't know who they're going to be. Chris, write that down. uh, Gruskin has the who's in the final four. And that's because I love my ex-girlfriend. Okay? I I never got over. Yeah, yeah. Coach Woodruff, Coach Burke, you're out in Gruskin's mind. No! (laughs) What if We don't even have to debate it. You're the two that are sitting. (laughs) <laughs> uh, don't don't we though like what am i gonna do with ohio state what am i gonna do with texas what you know yeah do? well we know florida and baylor in and you're in love with ohio state so there's your other three you're well done. here's the thing you two in particular were here for the argument the first time so you guys know my thoughts on florida and i am gonna give them a benefit of the doubt this year because they are the defending champions Here's the thing. You're bringing back two core threes, fundamentally. So we're doing this at this point because spoilers are out the window. And at this point, this is the debate you have to have. What top three do you like more? Because let's assume the depth is even. What top three do you like more? Boyton, La. No, no, no. Florida is is a different category. They're a lot. Oh, okay. (laughs) What top three do you like more? Boyton, Soto, and La. Or Rodesh, Von der Schulenberg, and Getz. Uh, not Getz, sorry, and uh, and Montez. Maddie, you're shaking your head as if to say Baylor. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm going to roll with my guys there. I mean, did you see what Adrian and Matias did last year? I mean, they're old. They're all older. Like we're talking about guys that are in their fourth or fifth year for Baylor. There, I know. I mean, look, the the, the UVA guys are talented, but if we're just going to stack those three up, I'm taking Baylor. No question. Chris? Yeah, I, I mean, the, you, I, I can't even make an argument against that. Boyton, 
is going to be the favorite in his match, regardless yep. of who he plays. And then you just need to split the other two. And I think you can easily make the case that the other two split. I, I couldn't favor uh, Virginia there just because Addy's going to be so strong at the top spot. So yep. I fundamentally agree with everything you've said there. And that's why I would have Baylor over them. Ohio State gets interesting because I think there's balance issues. Like, again, I might like their top better, but I might like Virginia's bottom a little bit better. And, you know, Texas, there's just so many unknowns about them. For Tennessee, do I really love Walton, Monday, and whomever at number three that much better than Von der Schulenberg, Rodesh, and Montez? Like, I don't know. So that's why... I'm just going to have some spice. We got to disagree somewhere. I'm going to go Virginia semifinals. Maddie, final word goes to you. Well, I'll give you both final words. Hey, that's noted, man. And and look, I don't mind the call. I really don't. Like, thinking about this Virginia team a little bit more, I, I think they're going to be phenomenal. And and you know what, Gruskin? It, you might be the one laughing at the end at me and Chris when UVA makes the final four. That could very well happen. And I wouldn't be shocked. They are that talented, but man, there's about four or five other teams that are right there with them. It's going to be a dogfight. I'm, I mean, we're, we got to get to January 1st, but once we get down to that last weekend in May, ooh, that's going to be fun. One of us will end up being right. That's the key is let's just make sure one of us is right. Chris, final thoughts to you. Yeah, no, I, I like it. it I, even though I'm generally the anti-Alex guy, which means I have to be anti-Virginia, I uh, I actually would like to see, you know, I like seeing the stories of the young guys. I would love to see them make that run. So it's not, not going to surprise me. I hope, I really do hope we get to see it. I'm looking just forward to the, to the preseason battles, uh, you know, the rematch with Ohio State, if you will. Uh, those to me are going to be, are going to be fun, but uh, I like this team a lot and, and I hope we do get to see them make a deep run. I completely agree with you. And again, speaks to the depth we have in college tennis that this team is our preseason number six. Every team is that good. And from here, again, when we're predictions, it's dartboard stuff. Pick a name, throw it at it. Let's try to be different. You heard that debate there. These debates are only going to increase moving forward. But that'll do it for today's College Contenders episode again. Number six, University of Virginia. Maddie and Chris say quarterfinals. I say semifinals. We'll find out, though, as the 2022 season plays out. Of course, if you would like to read more about the Virginia Cavaliers, you can read Maddie's piece on them on our website, crackrackets.com. I'll say this. Coach Pedroso's ghosted me. Haven't gotten that response yet. I think we've now reached the point. See, I hate calling out coaches on the pod, and I hope they all know it's in jest and it's in love, and I know he's a busy man. But, like, come on. Come prove me wrong. Tell me why you got – like, we need you top six coaches to make the case because we can't make it. It's all speculation, Jones. We need to hear from all of you. So, hopefully, we'll get the chance to speak with Coach Pedroso soon. Uh, of course, if you've missed any of the other episodes in our series, you can catch up on them all here on the Great Shot podcast feed, on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can find them all on the website, crackrackets.com. Power five coaching interviews rocking and rolling five a day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, each and every day until we get through all of our Power 5 coaches. Again, you can find all the content on the website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, Mini Break Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, YouTube, so that you don't miss out on any of our content. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- 
of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15 with all of that said for my fantastic co-hosts, Matt the Cracks to Koyak, Chris Hallioris, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey. Hey. Great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, gentlemen. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.